Chapter Eleven of Aesthetic as Science of Expression and General Linguistic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa Reichert. Aesthetic as Science of Expression and General Linguistic by Benedetto Croce. Translated by Douglas Ainsley, 1865 1948. Chapter 11 Critique of Aesthetic Hedonism. As we are opposed to hedonism in general, that is to say, to the theory which is based on the pleasure and pain intrinsic to economy and accompanies every other form of activity, confounding the content and that which contains it, and fails to recognize any process but the hedonistic, so we are opposed to aesthetic hedonism in particular, which looks upon the aesthetic at any rate, if not also upon all other activities, as a simple fact of feeling, and confounds the pleasurable of expression, which is the beautiful, with the pleasurable and nothing more, and with the pleasurable of all sorts. Critique of the Beautiful as That Which Pleases the Higher Senses the aesthetic hedonistic point of view has been presented in several forms. One of the most ancient conceives the beautiful as that which pleases the sight and hearing, that is to say, the so-called superior senses. When analysis of aesthetic facts first began, it was in fact difficult to avoid the mistake of thinking that a picture and a piece of music are impressions of sight or of hearing. It was and is an indisputable fact that the blind man does not enjoy the picture, nor the deaf man the music. To show, as we have shown, that the aesthetic fact does not depend upon the nature of the impressions, but that all sensible impressions can be raised to aesthetic expression, and that none need of necessity be so raised, is an idea which presents itself only when all the other ways out of the difficulty have been tried. But whoso imagines that the aesthetic fact is something pleasing to the eyes or to the hearing, has no line of defence against him who proceeds logically to identify the beautiful with the pleasurable in general, and includes cooking in aesthetic, or, as some positivist has done, the viscerally beautiful. Critique of the Theory of Play The theory of play is another form of aesthetic hedonism. The conception of play has sometimes helped towards the realization of the actifying character of the expressive fact. Man, it has been said, is not really man, save when he begins to play. That is to say, when he frees himself from natural and mechanical causality, and operates spiritually, and his first game is art. But since the word play also means that pleasure which arises from the expenditure of the exuberant energy of the organism, that is to say, from a practical act, the consequence of this theory has been that every game has been called an aesthetic fact, and that the aesthetic function has been called a game, in so far as it is possible to play with it, for, like science and every other thing, aesthetic can be made part of a game but morality cannot be provoked at the intention of playing, on the ground that it does not consent. On the contrary, it dominates and regulates the act of playing itself. Critique of the Theories of Sexuality and of the Triumph 
finally there have been some who have tried to deduce the pleasure of art from the reaction of the sexual organs there are some very modern aestheticians who place the genesis of the aesthetic fact in the pleasure of conquering of triumphing or as others add in the desire of the male who wishes to conquer the female this theory is seasoned with much anecdotal erudition heaven knows of what degree of credibility on the customs of savage peoples but in very truth there was no necessity for such important aid for one often meets in ordinary life poets who adorn themselves with their poetry like cocks that raise their crests or turkeys that spread their tails but he who does such things in so far as he does them is not a poet but a poor devil of a cock or turkey the conquest of woman does not suffice to explain the art fact it would be just as correct to term poetry economic because there have been aulic and stipendiary poets and there are poets the sale of whose verses help them to gain their livelihood if it does not altogether provide it however this definition has not failed to win over some zealous neophytes of historical materialism critique of the aesthetic of the sympathetic meaning in it of content and form another less vulgar current of thought considers aesthetic to be the science of the sympathetic of that with which we sympathize which attracts rejoices gives us pleasure and excites admiration but the sympathetic is nothing but the image or representation of what pleases and as such it is a complex fact resulting from a constant element the aesthetic element of representation and from a variable element the pleasing in its infinite forms arising from all the various classes of values in ordinary language there is sometimes a feeling of repugnance at calling an expression beautiful which is not an expression of the sympathetic hence the continual contrast between the point of view of the aesthetician or of the art critic and that of the ordinary person who cannot succeed in persuading himself that the image of pain and of turpitude can be beautiful or at least can be beautiful with as much right as the pleasing and the good the opposition could be solved by distinguishing two different sciences one of expression and the other of the sympathetic if the latter could be the object of a special science that is to say if it were not as has been shown a complex fact if predominance be given to the expressive fact it becomes a part of aesthetic as a science of expression if to the pleasurable content we fall back to the study of facts which are essentially hedonistic utilitarian however complicated they may appear the origin also of the connection between content and form is to be sought for in the aesthetic of the sympathetic when this is conceived as the sum of two values aesthetic hedonism and moralism in all the doctrines just now discussed the art fact is posited as merely hedonistic but this view cannot be maintained save by uniting it with a philosophic hedonism that is complete and not partial that is to say with a hedonism which does not admit any other form of value hardly has this hedonistic conception of art been received by philosophers who admit one or more spiritual values of truth or of morality then the following question must necessarily be asked what should be done with art to what use should it be put should a free course be allowed to its pleasures and if so to what extent the question of the end of art 
which in the aesthetic of expression would be a contradiction of terms, here appears in place and altogether logical. THE RIGORISTIC NEGATION AND THE PEDAGOGIC JUSTIFICATION OF ART Now it is evident that, admitting the premises, but two solutions of such a question can be given, the one altogether negative, the other restrictive. The first, which we shall call rigoristic or ascetic, appears several times, although not frequently, in the history of ideas. It looks upon art as an inebriation of the senses, and therefore not only useless but harmful. According to this theory, then, it is necessary to drive it with all our strength from the human soul, which it troubles. The other solution, which we shall call pedagogical or moralistico-utilitarian, admits art, but only in so far as it concurs with the end of morality, in so far as it assists with innocent pleasure the work of him who leads to the true and the good, in so far as it sprinkles with dulcet balm the sides of the vase of wisdom and of morality. It is well to observe that it would be an error to divide this second view into intellectualist and moralistico-utilitarian, according to whether the end of leading to the true or to what is practically good be assigned to art. The task of instructing, which is imposed upon it, precisely because it is an end which is sought after and advised, is no longer merely a theoretical fact, but a theoretical fact become the material for practical action. It is not, therefore, intellectualism, but pedagogism and practicism. Nor would it be more exact to subdivide the pedagogic view into the pure utilitarian and the moralistico-utilitarian, because those who admit only the individually useful, the desire of the individual, precisely because they are absolute hedonists, have no motive for seeking an ulterior justification for art. But to enunciate these theories at the point to which we have attained is to confute them. We therefore restrict ourselves to observing that in the pedagogic theory of art is to be found another of the reasons why it has been erroneously claimed that the content of art should be chosen with a view to certain practical effects. Critique of Pure Beauty The thesis, re-echoed by the artists, that art consists of pure beauty, has often been brought forward against hedonistic and pedagogic aesthetic. Heaven places all our joy in pure beauty, and the verse is everything. If it is wished that this should be understood in the sense that art is not to be confounded with sensual pleasure, that is, in fact, with utilitarian practicism, nor with moralism, then our aesthetic also must be permitted to adorn itself with the title of Aesthetic of Pure Beauty. But if, as is often the case, something mystical and transcendental be meant by this, something that is unknown to our poor human world, or something spiritual and beatific, but not expressive, we must reply that while applauding the conception of a beauty, free of all that is not the spiritual form of expression, we are yet unable to conceive a beauty altogether purified of expression, that is to say, separated from itself. End of chapter 11 Reading by Lisa Reichert